Hi, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of Roll for Enterprise for 2020. Roll on 2021. Oh, is that a meteor I see in the distance? <laughs> Won't surprise me at all after the year it's been. Um, we're joined once again by friend of the show, Lilac Schoenbeck. Hey, Lilac, welcome back. Such a pleasure. <laughs> Always. 2020 has been all sorts of not fun, but we thought there were some interesting trends that are worth looking back on with our enterprise tech hats on. Obviously, the coronavirus has changed everything, and that's driven an acceleration in a large number of existing trends. One big one is, of course, we've all been working from home and not going anywhere, which is uh, very novel for me. Not the working from home part, but the not going anywhere part. My kids have got quite bored of seeing me around and I think would be quite glad to see the back of me occasionally, but there you go. So let's start with Lilac. Um, with everyone working from home, how's that works out for you with uh, working from home and the homeschooling and just generally having people underfoot and trying to combine that? Share your perspective with the listeners. Oh, golly, it has been a hot mess, right? Can we just own that? Um, I think it's been really, I think it's, I think it's been, you know, on, at some level, we have a rhythm, right? The odds that you'll have to remove my child from the sound of this podcast are about 150%. Um, but on the other hand, I think he's also learning a lot of math. Um, so, you know, at some level, we have a rhythm. I think my particular angle on this, I mean, I'd be glad to see the back of it. Let's be clear. Um, my angle on this from a working parent perspective is that in my circle, in my people, which are, you know, largely overeducated MBAs, because that's my people, um, the, the women have suffered tremendously. And I think it has knocked us back a decade, at least more women than I can count have dropped out of the workforce or taken leaves or otherwise, um, basically had to set it aside. Um, and I think it's actually a tragedy. Um, and I feel really lucky that I've found some way to get through, but I recognize that it is it is quite literally because I have one child, a very, very um, flexible work arrangement, um, and a husband who's also working at home. I was going to say that I feel like this year I've made up some of my absences in the past because flexible work arrangement, I've been doing a lot more of the housework and education and looking after children. And so we haven't had that problem. But yeah, I know it's an issue that many have had to deal with. What a great perspective, though. Single parents uh, haven't really thought of that angle that are being impacted by this. Single parents are just stuck, right? Because there's no alternative. You have to pay the bills and you have to somehow manage it. And if you have children that are grade school age, because I think the, my experience is that the game is very different once your kid is 12 and doesn't actually want to see you most of the time. But like, you know, kids who are grade school age, you need help holding a pencil or kids that are, I have a friend who's got a toddler at home and she's a single parent. It's cataclysmic in its impact. And single parents have no choice. You know, I, I, I have the privilege of, of toying with quitting my job every day. I don't, I'm glad I'm not, but like I at least can toy with it. If I had to pay the, the bills, I, I wouldn't even have that option. It's horrifying. The, the upside of it, if I can find a, a very small silver lining, is that I think for knowledge workers in tech, in many parts of the world, we've accepted that work doesn't have to happen on a certain schedule. And that work doesn't have to be quite so sanitized from the realities of human life. And I think that that will benefit us going forward. Um, and I'm glad for that. And I, I appreciate that. And, and all of a sudden, our labor pool has changed. A whole lot of things have changed. Um, but I think at, at an extremely high expense for the women of the workforce. 
Jason Freed, if you're listening, you need to come on the show. He has a great perspective on this, and it aligns with what you're saying around, you know, leaderships that uh, they simply can't expect, you know, full-time work from home right now, and they have to be very, very flexible, and that this isn't what work from home was before, right? It's totally different. So, uh, Jason, if you're listening, we need to get him on the show and talk through this, but great, great analogy. That was one of the things at the beginning of all of this. I wrote a couple of blog posts like many people did saying, hey, I've been working from home for ages. Here's some tips and tricks to help you do this. And then as it continued, I realized that no, this is not what I thought I knew. This is a, a different animal. Working from home during a pandemic is different because there are all the practical aspects. Like in the spring, we had the kids home from school. Thank goodness, uh, this autumn and winter, that has not yet happened uh, here in Italy. But uh, that that was its whole own source of stress. And but there's just a general background angst uh, of doing things this year that is, is non-zero. It's a non-zero impact and no help because the support networks haven't been there. And so my wife and I both have flexible work schedules. And so we will split that up. And like I say, I probably caught up with a bunch of non-doing <laughs> household tasks that uh, I'd accumulated in the past years, but uh, that's uh, nowhere near to parity yet. It's kind of sad that how it's it's kind of evolved because I think at first you're you're right, Dominic. Everybody's like, "All right, work from home." Everybody's kind of used to it, but we're not used to everybody being home. So, Lilac, do you think these women return to the workforce and and companies take advantage of that, or? Do you think it's long term? I mean, it's it's kind of sad when you start to think about the overall, right? I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I think a lot of them are going to try for sure, um, but I also know that it depends on where you left in your career progress and path, and what kinds of um, roles you'll be able to step back into, and how long you were away for. Right? It, there's there's situations where you where you don't have an easy step back in because you either are on the the track or you're not. There's careers that have paths that are that rigid, um, and that that's a problem. And I think in tech, I think we have a little bit more flexibility. But I I would believe I would like to see employers looking with very great generosity upon gaps in women's employments during this two year period, and not um, question it in any way. And just sort of let them pick up where they left off, because I think otherwise we lose a tremendous amount of talent. Um, but you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that will go because there isn't necessarily that precedent from when women often take off time to have children. For example, they often have to come back and and sort of have lost time because. And we claim that it's because you've lost track of the industry in the last five years or whatever the hell it is. But I think um, that's largely frankly bullshit um and and um i would like to see that there is a little bit more generosity and and i would love to see that when we talk about diversity initiatives in 2022 that it has some acknowledgement of the fact that different populations were impacted by this differently yeah it's always the haves and have nots i think that's one of the harsh realities here unfortunately yeah but this is why i'm glad that we had you on lilac because without you we probably would not have gone down this particular tangent and i like to think the three of us are fairly aware of these types of things but it's always a secondhand awareness that we have maybe seen uh, colleagues or friends or relatives go through these types of experiences. It's never firsthand. And so that's a, a very salutary reminder that people's experiences are not the same. This is something that we try to think of. We always try to say when the topic of diversity comes up, and it's quite apart from all the moral reasons that uh, you should have a diverse group of people 
involved in uh, in your projects and not aim for uniformity. There's also these very simple practical reasons that otherwise you just miss out uh, on major aspects uh, that can impact your user base, your potential talent pool, uh, whatever it might be. And if you don't do it, it'll make things worse, including in these very utilitarian practical ways, let alone, once again, uh, the big picture moral, how things should be. But yeah, otherwise we just spent the whole time talking about... Uh, Oh, well, we sure spent a lot of time on Zoom this year, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you guys see my new microphone? It's amazing. <laughs> I can hear it. That's really good. This has been one of the interesting aspects. And I do wonder, this is not an original thought, others have said this, whether these two aspects are connected. So let me lay out my thought. In a year when everyone is sitting at home working and you know buying themselves better webcams and better microphones and what have you, Zoom, yes, has done very well, but it hasn't exactly transformed. It's the same Zoom that it was in January, uh, now that we're here in December. There, there hasn't been any radical change. In, I think it may have missed a boat to become more than just the newest, fanciest WebEx. And it was funny because I was looking for something on in my blog archives. I found a post from, I think, 2014, where I was dissing Google Hangouts or whatever it was called at the time and saying, oh, isn't WebEx so much easier? If you swapped Zoom in for WebEx and WebEx in for Hangouts, published the same thing in 2020, and nothing would need to be changed, which is kind of a miss. And there have been a few things like that that everyone thought, oh, well, now, now, surely now is the moment. So we're all stuck at home. Surely we're going to play VR games. There's even a new Half-Life game that's VR only. And no, that, that's not a thing that really happened. So one possibility is that it was just a, yes, we were at home, but we all had to pitch in and do the housework instead of just sitting on our butts playing video games. Or maybe there's uh, something deeper going on. We just haven't seen the full impact. I think the next role for Zoom or whatever they're going to do is still to come. But I mean, look, all they've done is made it easy for people to to start up calls and for it to just work, right? It's it's the friction they've removed. And that's why they've become the go-to during COVID, right? I mean, it's a generation video, let's say, right? So it, it's all about video. And I think they're the first ones that really got the other half of the people resistant to video using video, right? Because it's it's kind of like, you know, this, this video first kind of uh, attitude, even though most people still don't turn on their cameras. But hey, I, I think a lot more um, because of COVID and because of the isolation have been turning on their cameras, right? I, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but that, that's at least what I feel. And, and they still have a lot to do, especially if they want to stay relevant, which is what they got to fight for now rather than become another WebEx. Yeah, because they don't really have a moat. They don't really have a unique play. The, the unique play was just about it being that much easier to get in. And sure, that's helped because it's got even civilians, muggles, to be aware of Zoom and to use Zoom. And it's Zoom cocktails and Zoom weddings and Zoom yep. birthday parties. But it hasn't really gone further. It hasn't pulled a TikTok, let's say. Well, as I think as the workforce adjusted, they realized they need more than just video. And I think that's why, you know, teams started rebounding and um, are getting more focused, right? So, I mean, it doesn't, it's missing a lot of these these attributes uh, of a Teams or even of Slack and, and these kind of things to collaborate. So I think people are realizing that Zoom has its place. But I, again, unless they... To get an acquisition under their belt or, or try to uh, get some R&D going, I, I don't think it's enough. I think it's great for, for maybe people to communicate, um, you know, like you said, for cocktails, et cetera. But 
not for work. Or could this be institutional sexism again? Like Lilac was saying that the, the industry, the old white guys think video chat is something that teenage girls do and serious business does not. Aren't you on, like, I'm on WebEx at work, but aren't you on video all day long? It certainly feels like that, yeah. I'd probably pull a good three, four hours on Zoom. I got all white guys on my screen all day. <laughs> I, I, <like> I... <laughs> <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> but Lilac, you bring up a very good point. So what, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, this COVID and, and of course the mental health crisis that's going to follow probably, but also how about staring at these screens and everything? That's as interesting. Are we going to have other health issues from staring at screens all day, every day? That's interesting. It's no different than it was before, is it? I mean, I think a, a bit of it, right? Like I think seeing people in 3D, if you've had an opportunity to see any of your colleagues in 3D, I, I did before the the winter, the winter time. <laughs> um, and, you know, we'd see somebody across a distance and it, I think it really mattered. I think we've lost a huge amount in um, uh, interpersonal like data, right? Like you see somebody shifting uncomfortably in their chair and you realize that perhaps maybe that proposal you made was just, you know, off your rocker or, um, or, you know, you see the dynamics between two people that has now switched to the phone, right? That's what, that's what we have is you'll see somebody glance down at their phone during a, a WebEx or a Zoom call and you're like, ah, who's he texting? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it, it, the whole dynamics of interpersonal relationships have shifted. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see whether we go back to, I mean, I'm thinking back. Dominic, when we used to work together, we could sit across a room filled with people and there were times when I could just catch your eye and we didn't have to say anything, right? And we knew, we were like, what the hell, right? And like, um, <laughs> now we have to text that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the same. And that's the thing. I and mean, We've been eating the seed corn. We've been capitalizing on the relationships that we'd formed in person in 2019 and, and before. And in 2020, we haven't been able to form any new relationships, really, not not seriously. And new people who've come into our organizations have struggled more because they haven't been able to to meet people. It's uh, it's been a real education in the value of uh, the, those much derided soft skills. I know that I'm actually looking forward to doing booth duty as an event. I will sign up. I will volunteer. I'm saying it here and now. I know some of our <laughs> events team listen. I'll do the, the first booth duty at the first event. The, once everything is safe, I just want to see people. And it doesn't matter how many stupid questions they have to ask. There were no stupid questions. There were any stupid answers, usually mine. But uh, you know what I mean. Normally, I'd run away from the booth duty and try to find some other reason. But no, I'm really starved for that interpersonal contact. I miss that. Part of it is that the tech conferences, the three of us have spoken about it. I don't know, Lilac, if you've attended any virtual events that have really worked. I haven't seen any formats that really worked at all. There's nothing that's... Uh... Nothing. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no. There was one. There was one I liked. I'll tell you the what I did oh. like. Um, I went to IBM Think at the dawn of the darkness. Oh, no. Oh, and no. it gave me an opportunity to watch the keynote at 10 p.m. And that was great. I didn't have to go anywhere. I watched the keynote. I wasn't in like the giant arena at the Venetian. That's like, you know, a sports stadium gone wrong. Um, it was, that was, that was the one time. I think when you actually want to watch something that feels like it should be on, on your television set, that worked. 
<laughs> but that's not actually an engagement with anybody. It's just a video. No, exactly. Again, it's like the Zoom thing. It's a minimum common denominator. We got that. We put the keynotes on video and some of them have been very well done. Everyone talks about the Apple events as being the example of how everyone should do video. Yes, because they only did the keynotes and they put those out and they were very highly produced and they were very beautiful and you can just see the money flying out of your screen. It's the rest of the conference that's missing and people have tried all sorts of things. Uh, we've just came out of reInvent, three solid weeks of reInvent. Uh, the Google thing went on for eight weeks and it was ridiculous. I lost count. By the end, people are just punch drunk and Zach was comparing Amazon to Brookstone. <laughs> I blamed just the number of video sessions that they made him sit through. But Amazon also does like five or six keynotes, whatever ridiculous amount it is. But I, I think, Lilac, you bring up a good point because I believe that in the future, even if you get people together, I think there are some people that are only going to care about the keynote. I do not want to go spend three, four, five days with all these people. Just give me the keynote. That's all I want to see. Like, make it available online. And I think this is the barrier where some companies say, oh, we'll resell later to get the ticket sales to like an event. But, I, you know, this is going to be forever changed and uh, and what I think is is going to happen because I, I I don't think people are willing to to compromise all those days for some of those conferences that maybe you should go to, but what's the real like long term value? So I think you'll have people in both camps here. But it's the hallway track, right? I know people who go to to Vegas for reinvent. They don't even have tickets. They don't even go through the door. But because everyone else in the business is there, once again, you're refreshing those personal connections, you're doing business, you're meeting new people, a ton of business goes down, a ton of valuable professional connections get made that week, even by people who never attend a single session. I mean, these days, you can't even attend the keynote. I was there in 2019. I didn't get to attend any keynotes because it's on a lottery system now. So we're watching them on video anyway. I was watching them on video with a group of colleagues in a suite at the Venetian. Yes, yes. And we're all bitching and back talking and throwing things at the screen. That's the bit that's hard to arrange, that interpersonal connection. And there have been Twitch and uh, there have been all of these things, Slack groups all over the place, Twitter, of course trying to replicate that and they're all valuable and i would hate to miss any of them but it's just not the same as my takeaway i'm surprised how much that affected me i started to realize after a while i'm really down and i don't understand why nothing's gone badly wrong for me personally you know the greater world yes but and eventually i realized oh yes i haven't actually seen anyone in forever and that's not normal. You're a real closet extrovert, though, Dom. I'm an ambivert, which is another term I, dis I discovered. <laughs> <laughs> I swing both ways. Sometimes I'm introvert and sometimes I'm an extrovert. I need, it turns out I need a bit of both. I need to have my fill of people and then I need to go recuperate in a cave somewhere. <laughs> which is a good point. And I think a lot of people are like that. Right? I, I like that term, closet uh, extroverts. But I, I think we, we do see a lot of those folks. And uh, it's a bit of... It's a mix, right? And and they miss everybody misses the the interaction, right? I mean, this only goes so far, uh, the video calls and and so on and so forth. So it's got to change, got to change. Yeah, I don't have a solution. It's something that I do have to find at least a band aid for because I'm building a new team. I'm onboarding new people, and I have to figure out how how you build a team when you can never see each other except on a little screen. Uh, once a week. Can I make a suggestion though? I think one of the things that we found, so I had the distinct, delightful privilege of joining a company. It was like maybe six weeks before the darkness. And I had the benefit of joining with some people I already knew. Um, 
And and then we had some people that we didn't know, obviously, coming into a new company. And we, we've gone out of our way to have just, like, agendaless social Zoom calls, uh, regular ones, right? Like, it's every other week we have, like, a happy hour or lunch or something for different subsets of the population. And there's actually a subset of, of population that has, like, its own sort of running social chat on Slack. And, um, and like, just actually... Um, contrived water cooler time and i every time i go into these sessions i'm like okay like you've got like a 47 page to-do list why are you gonna sit there on virtual happy hour or whatever and every time i come out of them i feel like a thousand times better regardless of who turned up and what we were chitty chatting about and i actually think that that's something that we need to explicitly set up and do and force because even being like oh, there's your cat, he walked across the keyboard, brings us a certain human connection that we are desperately lacking. Yeah. No, this is a very good point that, that you bring up. And it's something that we do do. Uh, so we have a Slack channel that's actually called Water Cooler, uh, plus a bunch of other stuff along the same veins. And the sort of corporate, uh, uh, what's it called? Active and Thriving. We have this app called Active and Thriving, and you're encouraged to form groups with people outside your team, your department, people you wouldn't normally uh, be interacting with, and you form small teams and you do activities, exercises, you go cycling, you're walking, whatever. And it just gives you some reason to interact. So absolutely, I agree. That does help enormously. My specific problem is time zones. So part of my team is in Europe and part of my team is in the US. And so that just makes happy hour difficult. Uh, someone's either drinking with their with their breakfast <laughs> or up very late. <laughs> the, the actual need for alcohol, you know, is optional, right, Dom? I have a happy hour today right before lunchtime. So, you know, you call me after lunch. And let's see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> It's good for the creative writing. Exactly, exactly. I have some really important meetings after lunch, so that's uh, that's why we do it. So, yeah. No, but I, I think the time zone is uh, is a bit difficult, and um, travel would help the time zone issue. But I've never woken up as early as I have this year because of those meetings with Europe and Asia Pack that are like in in the dead of night sometimes. But yeah, you got to make it work, and you make it work. That that gets a bit hard and a, a bit redundant. Um, so, time zone is, is is something that no video is going to fix. Yeah. Although one good thing, again, 2020 has not been all bad. One good thing is that I've seen a lot more awareness uh, of time zones. Uh, I've only a handful of times had to point out to people, oh, that's in the middle of the night for me. People are proactively asking and being aware of that. Uh, so I think there is a lot more sensitivity. And I don't know whether it's only that all of us are suffering. And so we're more aware that other people might be suffering. Well, let me ask you actually, Dom, because I wonder, for us at least, we're, we've started we have a work from home default plan as a company now. And that was a really big change. Um, and what that has meant though, is that now we're hiring at least nationally, if not globally for almost any role that we have. Yeah. Um, not completely right. Because you don't want to sort of establish a, I don't know, a tax entity in you know, some random country. Right. But, but, but generally speaking, right. Like we have a, a very broad, um, geographic recruiting base. And I would say that over the course of eight or nine months of a pandemic, you get you start actually shifting your workforce to a place where everybody actually is in multiple places, whereas it used to be, you know, are you in Boston or not? 
Um, now it's just where in the world are you? Um, and I think that that's going to increase the understanding of time zones and increase just an understanding of location. And so that they work from home people like like you have always been are not an exception, but the rule. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm seeing. And again, it's something good companies already tried to do to work asynchronously and not just one master time zone and everyone else muddles along. Again, there's been more sensitivity to that. I would say pre-pandemic, some people could do it, some people couldn't. I think post-pandemic, everybody will automatically have the ability to do it. And, and the tools are there where not everybody had the tools before. I, I would say that's going to be a long-lasting change. Yeah, that's been one good thing, I think. And there were enormous benefits to this, the flexibility, being able to go take the kids to school and run an errand in the middle of the day and this, that, and the other, be at home for all of those deliveries <laughs> that we've all been getting. Uh, 2020 has been divided into days when deliveries come and days when deliveries don't come. Is there anything that particularly shocked any of you about the tech industry's response? I mean, some of the trends that we've discussed were more or less easy to extrapolate. You could lay the pieces out on the table and draw a picture and it wouldn't look too different from the reality. Is there anything, though, that you think has been a major departure, either in in good or evil, from what you might have expected in February, March? I think here in the US, I would say that the one shock is that companies are thinking themselves of picking up their headquarters and moving. And we see a lot of, yeah, I, I guess it's mainly the California and New York companies that are starting to move to, to other places. I, I I didn't think that would happen. I think they would keep their home bases, but some are, and that's a bit surprising. Yeah, Zach, our common friends, they, I believe they broke their lease on their headquarters and they just, everyone works from home. That's it. When we need a meeting room, we'll rent one. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I will say this year has brought a lot of IPOs. Uh, and again, tech is resilient. We look at the uh, last recession in the US at least and and how tech, the tech sector, you know, did really well. And I think it even thrived, um, you know, Mike, as well as I do that, not just from a stock perspective, but just, you know, employment perspective and everything else. So, um, you know, and that just creates, again, I don't want to get off the tech subject. This podcast really isn't, um, you know, political, but it, it, it does, you know, create more of a gap, um, you know, and uh, globally, you know, from the people that the haves and the have nots maybe. But it's it's interesting to see the IPOs just exploding, the valuations going through the roof. Um, you know, I think this year, you know, there's been a, and there's a lot of other things going on this year we haven't spoke about. I mean, how about the the chip market? What's going on with Intel? You know, the ARM acquisition, uh, GPT three. There's been a lot of stuff going on with technology this year. I've missed all of this, so I, I think that's interesting. At the bottom line, I mean, to be resilient, companies need to think tech first, right? And and companies need to be tech companies, right? I mean, um, Tesla's an you know a tech company that masquerades as an automaker, or energy company, or whatever it is, but uh, honestly, at heart, it's a it's a tech company. So when you start to look at everybody, yeah, tech is going to start to pull ahead and continue to put a, pull ahead, and yeah, software continues to eat the world. And I think that's what what we see happening um, everywhere. I it, it's no different. It's just I, I would say it's been accelerated this this year with with COVID. And again, haves and have nots, even in uh, public companies, I would say. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's been major changes in the types of projects that it was possible to turn around quickly from everyone's in an office and can do the daily stand-up to everyone's at home and uh, can't be in a daily stand-up. So certain projects benefited from that. So the generalizing wildly, the sort of DevOps, agile type approaches did well. Digital transformation got a major kick. 
and there's another big waterfall command and control uh, projects uh, hits big bumps in the road. And it's been interesting to see how in the back half of the year that's been changing. So some of the experiments came to fruition or got shut down and some of the, the big wholesale projects figured out how to continue in this new world once it became obvious that it, it wasn't going to go back to normal in six or eight weeks or whatever we were all hoping for in March. And so that, that's been a major trend. And just here in Italy, the adoption of contactless payments for everything and online and delivery for everything as probably several years ahead of where it would have been without everything that happened this year. I mean, for restaurants, it's been a survivor die, right? To, to go um, to go with delivery and 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 the on the app market and and so on and so forth. How about so. the uh, how about these ghost kitchens and how about the the delivery? Uh, you know, whether it's whether it's shipped it or whatever it might be out there. I mean, these things have started to pop up, so things are shifting. I, I think it's a matter of, I, I think ghost kitchens will be here for a long time. So movie theaters, I think, are dead permanently. I, I don't think they'll come back. But these delivery services, I, you know, it, it remains to be seen if they stay. I I, I don't know. I, I, I can flip both ways uh, in the argument there. This is all uh, the street finding new uses for things. These are all ingredients that uh, the corporate, the enterprise world had had access to for a long time. But what's been interesting this year is the democratization and the use in production, not just in experiments, of all of these little bits and pieces. They've had to adapt or, or die, in essence, and that's uh, that's what happened. I mean, they it, it's just accelerating again, right? I think the one thing I, I didn't see coming at all this year, I would say, is the, the fall of Intel. I was just going to say that. And I, I don't know if it's, I mean, has it always been coming? And, okay, it just happens that it's this year, but... Like NVIDIA is has taken over the ARM acquisition, all that, and Intel is like nowhere to be seen. I mean, it's um, even AWS made an announcement and then and then trashed them. It's um, you know everybody's designing their own chips, and yeah, the the the, the good old days for Intel seem to be uh, over if it if it can't reinvent itself now. Yeah, don't count them out, but it's not looking good. I would hate to be in charge of anything to do with turning that around right now. Yeah, that's really big. It's lost in all of this this year, but what's going on with Intel is is dramatic, I think. You're right. Um, you know, NVIDIA's acquisition of ARM and then all these startups, all these chip startups, uh, makes you wonder what happened at Intel. You miss an innovation cycle and this is what happens, but we, we shouldn't get lost in this. This is big, big stuff going on with them right now. And then um, I'd also like to point out, if I may, this year seems to be the year of outages with cloud providers. Is it just me or do you notice a lot of outages this year? Uh, certainly there was a big high profile US East 1 outage. And I just finished recording a video for a multi-cloud feature uh, that we're going to put out. That's definitely something that lots of people are thinking of. And you know, the SolarWinds hack as well. It's the latest, but it's, it's a big one and it calls into question lots of process uh, things more than a typical breach does. Oh, you left the password set to admin. That was silly. Uh, but it doesn't call into question the whole process. Getting your build server busted that way so that the source code looks fine, but the binaries coming out uh, have a backdoor in them, that's calling into question the whole approach of how you do things. And so we'll see what the, the long-term outcomes of all of this are. But we have uh, another podcast episodes where we talk about our predictions for 2021 this is 2020 hindsight uh yes that was my title thank you thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we should focus on on the backwards looking what what happened in the past but i agree that we're seeing some seeds both the, the big obvious things like 
everyone works from home, companies move their headquarters, move to remote workforce, uh, digital transformation accelerates, all of these things. And AI and ML, as we said, getting embedded in everything, becoming just features that are going to play out in their consequences for the next several years. So we've seen acceleration in the adoption, but I think we've also seen compression in in the impacts and reactions. There's an innovation theory that I'm going to, um, that's buried in the second one of Clay Christensen's books about um, integration um, theory in different platforms. And if you look at a, any kind of set of platforms, whether it's like a car or software stack, there's there's places where you get a an integrated platform and there's places where you get pieces. And we know this instinctively as technical people, right? We know that the operating system is was always sort of this, not always, but like has been for a long time, this sort of monolith, right? And then you've got all the different pieces that sit on top of it and potentially a set of different pieces that sit underneath it. And if you look at the full software stack, it tends to alternate. You get one piece of flexibility and one piece of integration, one piece of flexibility, one piece of integration. And when you, um, are building a strategy for a piece of technology that has a platform like quality to it. Um, understanding that dynamic is critical because you can't sort of force people wanting to be the browser or whatever the equivalent is in your systems management space or in whatever space is sort of the, essentially the, 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 the de- declaration that your piece is going to be the platform layer, the integrated layer, and that everybody else was going to dance to your tune. That's obviously optimistic depending on who you happen to be. And I think what we see in the last year with a lot of the technologies that have come out, as well as just the sort of wholesale disruption of the way that tech and business has been operating, is that a lot of those pieces and assumptions have broken down much more rapidly and aggressively than we um, had seen historically. Usually these waves happen over the course of five or 10 years. Clay did all this research. It was fascinating. Read the, the book. It's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but now it just feels like it just came crashing down. And I feel like what you guys have just been talking about for the last five minutes, what happened with Intel, what's happening um, in some of the other areas of tech, even things like the way Tesla has evolved. Tesla is the is the Apple Mac of the of the car world, right? All of a sudden, yep, yep. <laughs> like it's an integrated yep. scheme where everything else around it had to become modular. Um, and, and that's the exact opposite of what a Ford is. Um, and it's just a, a very interesting dynamic that I think the pandemic accelerated. I, I just think that we saw a really dramatic acceleration of this and uh, a risk appetite to try to disrupt this in a certain way. And if enough of these things are happening at the same time, it actually will shift the market. It's an interesting perspective. I wonder if we've modularized companies in this work from home moment, whether that will go further. Hmm. Power to the people. I feel like all my all my thoughts on that subject aren't safe for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a, an excellent place to end. Um, this has been, as always, a very illuminating conversation. Uh, we'll try to drop relevant notes and URLs into the, the podcast notes uh, for you to follow up on. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you all for sticking with us this year. We made it to the end of the year. Yay. Thank you, as ever, Lilac, for joining us. Such a pleasure. And we will talk to you all in 2021, unless that asteroid hits. (laughs) Yeah, let's hope not. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Have a great year, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you, everyone. It's been a a joy. Thank you.